Hello, you're listening to On a Tangent, a podcast hosted by Ryerson's Faculty of Science. I'm your host, Sarah McIntyre. Mmm, coffee. The world's most popular drug and drink. Odds are you may have a cup of coffee in your hands right now. But how much do you know about the science of caffeine and why it's so addictive? On today's show, I sit down with Dr. Michael Olson to chat about the pharmacological effects of caffeine, as well as the role coffee culture plays in coffee dependency. Dr. Olson studied pharmacology in his PhD and is now a cell biologist. He is a Canada Research Chair in Molecular Cell Biology, and his current research involves working to find out how cancer cells change the way that they control their shape to grow and spread. A disclaimer before we begin, this podcast is for general educational purposes and should not be substituted for medical advice. If you are concerned about a coffee addiction impacting your health, talk to your healthcare provider. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Olson. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so let's start off with, are you much of a coffee drinker yourself? So I don't drink a huge volume of coffee, but I love it when I drink it. I'm a big coffee fan and I'm a bit of a coffee nerd. I've got a whole setup at home. I have an electric burr grinder. I have a gooseneck kettle. So I have all the paraphernalia. Oh, wow. What's special about a gooseneck kettle? So a gooseneck kettle is if you're going to make pour overs. So, you know, it's got a kettle, but it has like a, a long, thin neck. And that allows you to very carefully control the flow of water when you're making pour overs. Would you say you're dependent on coffee? You no, know, it's a good question. Actually, I gave up caffeine. I only drink decaffeinated coffee. And um, I think the reason for me is, you know, caffeine as we might discuss more, is a drug and it has various effects. And one of the effects it can have on people is disrupting their sleep, you know, either making it difficult for them to get to sleep or making them kind of restless while they sleep. And I, I think that problems I was having with restlessness were tied to caffeine. And when I cut it out, I found that I did sleep better. Did you find it was difficult to switch from uh, caffeinated ca coffee to decaf? I didn't. Uh, and I didn't really suffer from a big problem with um, headaches or sleep, you know, or drowsiness when I did. I think part of the reason that it was easy to do is that there's a roaster that we are, we go to quite regularly that does a very tasty decaffeinated coffee. And so I think if you know if it was a a step backwards in how good it tastes, it would have been harder. But because it actually tastes really good. It wasn't difficult to switch to decaffeinated coffee. That's the coffee I have at home. Okay, so let's get into it. So caffeine is a drug. What exactly defines a drug? That's a good question. Drugs do things because they basically modify something that happens in our cells or in our body. And there's a, there's a concept in pharmacology um, that describes how drugs can work and that they act like a lock and a key. So they're a key and they fit into a lock in a, in a protein that they interact with. And drugs um, fit into this kind of lock and key and then modify how that protein that they've just bound to works. And so some, you know, some drugs that are made by, for example, pharmaceutical companies are very, very highly derived so that 
they're like a high security key. How they fit into the lock is a very, very mm -hmm. precise uh, fit. So they really only target a very few number of, of targets. But other drugs are more like skeleton keys. They'll actually affect a large number of different, um, different locks, and they'll do a number of things. And caffeine kind of falls into that category, that it doesn't do just one thing, but it actually interacts with a number of different proteins in our cells and causes a, a number of different things to happen. So what number of things are these? Could you list some of them? Well, there's, there's two major ones. So one is that caffeine interacts with receptors for um, a neurotransmitter called adenosine. And there's a, there's a number of related proteins that are called adenosine receptors. And adenosine is a natural um, neurotransmitter. It has a number of effects, you know, and because caffeine actually competes for adenosine, for binding to the adenosine receptor, it antagonizes, it blocks the ability of the, of the adenosine that we have in our body to do what it should be doing to those receptors. So it cuts off the signaling by these adenosine receptors. Now it's one of the major things that it does. Another thing it does is it blocks the functioning of an enzyme called cyclic AMP phosphodiesterase. Cyclic AMP is a small molecule that acts as what's called a second messenger within our cells. So it's a small molecule that can actually move around within our cells and find targets to turn on. And so we regulate the levels in cells of this molecule, cyclic AMP, in different ways. We can increase it or we can decrease it in response to different kinds of, you know, external stimulus that our cells may encounter. And so the enzyme phosphodiesterase actually breaks down cyclic AMP. And because caffeine blocks the functioning of the phosphodiesterase, it allows the cyclic AMP levels to rise within our cells. So there, you know, phosphodiesterase inhibitors are used clinically. So for example, if one has asthma, one of the drugs that people take for asthma in their inhaler is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor. And so caffeine would do the same sort of thing in, in helping to promote the relaxation of our lungs. I think most people are kind of aware of the effects of caffeine. You know, it wakes you up in the morning. Um, it makes you more alert. The number of effects that caffeine has are, are largely quite positive. You know, it, it makes you better able to concentrate on tasks. And that's, that's unrelated to the fact that it's woken you up. These things are separate. But like I said, it wakes you up. It makes you better able to concentrate. It has anti-pain effects. This is why, you know, you'll sometimes see it sold in combination with things like um, paracetamol, acetaminophen, that it actually helps those drugs work better and has its own anti-pain effect. Um, it's been shown that in certain sort of exercise tasks, it, it helps you perform better. You know, so it has a multitude of effects. You'd say, you could say the side effects that people don't like are the things like sleeplessness, as I said, you know, either not being able to go to sleep or having restless sleep. Some people find that it makes their heart feel strange, you know, it may make their um, heart beat faster, it may make their heart um, flutter a bit, it can cause increased in blood pressure. And it, this is variable from people from person to person. And for some people, you know, those kind of side effects are really, you know, almost undetectable or very minor. And there'll be a small population of people where this is really a problem. And those people tend to not like to drink coffee because of those 
adverse effects are so strong, they just kind of avoid coffee. You know, even if they like the taste, the, the fact that it can make their heart rate go strange and feel funny will make them avoid coffee. Is it possible to grow a tolerance to these feelings? Yes, definitely. And this is, this is a very typical thing that happens, that one becomes tolerant. And so, you, you know, you have the same amount of coffee every day, but you don't get the same effects anymore. And part of tolerance, you know, so you would need more of the caffeine to get the same effect that you would have had earlier when you, you know, when you just first started drinking coffee, for example. And like a drug, I mean, as I say, like a drug, you can have withdrawal effects, you know, and, and because when you, if you stop drinking coffee, if you go off drinking coffee and you reduce your caffeine, people report how they'll get headaches, they'll find it difficult to wake up in the morning, they'll find it difficult to concentrate. And, you know, the kind of withdrawal effects is the, is the other side of the coin to the positive effects that it has when you first take it. And, and you know, the fact that it has this withdrawal effects kind of helps to define it as being a drug that has some addictive uh, potential. Speaking of addiction, what makes up a addiction to coffee? What would be the different factors? In a broader sense, one gets addicted to things that, for example, are pleasurable. We, we like things that bring us pleasure. And, you know, we kind of seek things that are pleasurable to us. So drinking coffee is pleasurable in that, you know, aside from the, the drug actions, if we like the taste, the drinking, drinking it in, and the taste appealing to us has a positive reinforcing effect. So that can be a, a mild contributor to its having its addictive properties. Like me, if you're a bit of a coffee nerd, the whole sort of process of making the co coffee kind of feeds in to the, the positive reinforcement. So it's, it's better doing that if you enjoy that than just buying a coffee from a machine, for example. So any, anything that is a sort of behavioral, uh, a behavioral thing that gives you a positive feedback can contribute to the addiction. But more than that, you know, you get pleasure from coffee from the environment that you drink coffee in. So if you go to like a really cool coffee shop and you think this is really nice, you know, it's nicely decorated, it's got nice artwork, the music is good, you know, that will also be positively reinforcing. And if you go for coffee with your friends, you know, again, you know, being with friends is a very strong positive reinforcement. And so if you put together all these behavioral elements, you know, you like the taste, you go to a cool coffee shop, you're there with your friends, you know, all of those things are kind of environmental factors that will, that will kind of promote you wanting to repeat that behavior and it becoming sort of an element in the addiction. And as I said, all of that is independent of the drug effect. Are there properties in caffeine specifically that makes it addictive? Why are more people addicted to coffee than they are to tea? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So I lived in the UK for a long time, and tea is still the drink of most people's choice. Um, tea has less caffeine, so it's probably less of a factor that people get addicted to tea because of that reinforcement from the caffeine. It probably is just much more to do with the sort of environmental and cultural factors. You know, people find tea kind of soothing. And again, it's partly the ritual of making tea, pouring tea. Just the fact that you're drinking a warm liquid is also kind of a pleasant thing. You know, not a scalding hot one, obviously, but just drinking warm drinks is also a positive thing. Um, 
the coffee, you could argue, is more addictive because it does have higher concentrations of caffeine. So, you know, when you know the positive reinforcing effects, like I said, that it wakes you up, it makes you more alert, it makes you better able to concentrate. All of those things are stronger if you've got a higher dose of the caffeine, and so you know that will contribute to its addictive properties. The fact that the withdrawal of any drug like caffeine will cause withdrawal symptoms also means that co coffee will be more addictive than, than tea because of the higher concentration of caffeine. You know, you will more want to avoid those kinds of adverse effects um, and just keep drinking coffee to make sure you, you avoid doing that. That can kind of happen what in when people become tolerant. You know, you don't necessarily derive the same kind of positive beneficial effects that you did when you first started drinking coffee. It may not wake you up as much. It may not make you as alert. But you do suffer the withdrawal symptoms more. So you, the next day, you want to drink coffee just to get back to where you were, right? To get back to the point where you're kind of awake and don't have a headache, etc. <laughs> you know, and don't feel a bit drowsy. But to get to increasing those things, alertness, um, the ability to concentrate means like, you know, progressively you have to drink more and more coffee to, to get to that point. So because of, because of there's that ever increasing demand to have caffeine to achieve the same levels of those positive effects, you know, contributes to why it is an addictive drug. So you did mention you spent some time in the UK. How do you compare Canada's coffee culture with what you've seen in the UK? Yeah, that's an interesting question because, you know, I did my PhD in Toronto and I was very used to going to different coffee shops because it's not like now where there's a million, you know, on every block, but there were plenty, um, you know, and, and we had our favorite places we'd like to go and you could always get a good coffee. And another thing, you could always get a good coffee early in the morning, you know, as you were going to school or to work. Moved to London, and this is before there was Starbucks, you know, there was uh, an, any sort of coffee chains. In London, you know, it's like 10 million people, and there were about four places where you could buy coffee. Oh, wow. It, really, it was really not a coffee place at all. And we really struggled at first finding decent places to get decent coffee. There was one 24-hour uh, Italian coffee shop that was good. There were a couple of French um, sort of bakery coffee places, and that was about it. And so it was a big shock. And, uh, and you know, we kind of struggled because we got used to the idea that you could go to a place, have a good coffee. But like I said, you know, it would be an environment where you just like to be. You could hang out there and talk to friends and stuff like that. And that didn't exist. And it's interesting that um, one of the first kind of small chains that opened in the UK was opened by some scientists who had done their PhDs in Britain and moved to the US and experienced um, you know, the kind of coffee shop chain like Starbucks. In fact, I think it was not Starbucks. I think it was one that was in the San Francisco region that was kind of a San Francisco chain. And they really liked it. When they moved back to the UK, they thought, I see a niche here, you know, that we could probably start this kind of thing and really kind of fill a need that people don't even know they have. Mm. And so however they did it, they got some capital together and opened up a small chain. And I think it was called Coffee Republic. And they got to the point where they had 30, 40 shops. And 
at that point, Starbucks decided that they wanted to expand into the UK and they just bought the whole Coffee Republic chain off them. And that was how Starbucks was able to launch fairly quickly by just taking over pre-existing shops. So then, you know, then that came along, you know, Starbucks, there were a few other chains and, you know, so which was better than nothing. But it's only been in the past five years or so where you've got the sort of real coffee snob culture, you know, with like roasters who hand roast single origin coffees, um, the way that, you know, you have quite a bit of that in Toronto. And that's a more recent thing. Can you see um, the coffee culture growing this at the same level that Canada has in the UK? Yeah, I, it will definitely ha I mean, it has happened. It was kind of an explosion. It didn't, there wasn't the same kind of coffee, coffee culture. And then when it started, it, it took off. Um, I lived in Scotland, actually, and Edinburgh has a very good um, coffee culture. And for whatever reason, because there's a, a good sized university there, that may have been why. So it's not true in every British city, but I'm, I don't know if that's true in every Canadian city. I know that Toronto, Vancouver definitely have like really strong coffee cultures. I mean, I can't imagine like Canada without Tim Hortons. Well, that's true. You know, in fact, the first Tim Hortons that opened in Europe opened in Glasgow, which mm -hmm. is where we lived. And we were super excited that a Tim Hortons was opening just because, um, although, you know, we could go to fancy coffee shops and get, like I said, you know, roasted single origin coffees and stuff. Sometimes you just want to have a reliable coffee that you can buy easily and is inexpensive. And that's, we were really excited that the Tim Hortons opened in, in Glasgow, where, you know, of all the cities in Europe that it opened, at first, it was the city that we lived in. So that was that was good. What a coincidence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, would you say uh, drinking coffee necessarily is a good or bad thing? I think people can take on board um, whether they enjoy the effects of, of caffeine on them or whether they find them to be overly negative. And most people... Are, you know, are very happy with the effects that caffeine has. And particularly, you know, a lot of people really have the benefit of having a cup of coffee in the morning and waking them up. You know, and, and a lot of people feel they can't start in the morning if they don't have a cup of coffee. And that's fine. You know, that's good. If people feel that there are enough side effects that they don't enjoy, then I would say, you know, give decaffeinated coffee a try because I think there are good, flavorful, pleasurable decaffeinated coffees out there. That it doesn't have to be a negative. Like it's not like you have to give up coffee. You can still have a good tasting cup of coffee without caffeine. But I mean, as I said as well, there's no reason for anybody to be alarmed about drinking caffeine because it is a drug. You know, it really is very safe. You know, it really doesn't do anything particularly harmful. Um, it's just there are a few side effects that may just be a bit. Um, make you feel a bit uncomfortable at best. I was reading a, you know, a, a paper uh, that was talking about, they did a very, very big clinical study to look at arrhythmias. So this is when people have, you know, their heartbeats go out of rhythm. And this, this can be, arrhythmias can be a problem because if it goes out of 
uh, rhythm enough, it can cause you know your heart to pump blood less less efficiently. So the study was: Did caffeine have any negative effect on arrhythmias? And the conclusion was: Well, none at all. You know, so even if it can make you people feel from time to time that it caused a bit of you know a heart flutter, it won't it won't interact with uh, arrhythmias and have any kind of really major adverse cardiovascular effect. So it's really, you know, you really don't have to worry about taking caffeine. It really is down to whether you like it or not. That's it for today. Thank you, Dr. Olson, for taking the time to be on the show. And whether you are a coffee drinker or not, I hope our listeners learned something new. See you next time. Thanks, Anne.